Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's good to be with you guys here this afternoon. I uh, was reflecting this week, and I remembered it just a couple years ago when our lead pastor, Jim, who's not here today, when he called me into a meeting in, in Mike's office, Pastor Mike's office, and he shared with Mike and I what was going on in his, with his health and how he had been having severe chest pain and he was getting some tests done and was going to get getting a, a catheter done that week and and my first reaction was you know concern you know concern for my friend who you know who I loved and and I, my concern was for his family who I had you know come to love as my own family over all the years that we had served together and uh, in that meeting we, we kind of made a plan for the week what we needed to do and a little bit beyond and, and how we had to handle things and, and we talked and we prayed together we prayed with Jim for his health and for the doctors as they would be treating him and and um, and then and then I left I went back to my office and somewhere between Mike's office and my office another thought crossed my mind and and I think it's probably similar to a thought that most people in our church, specifically maybe all the men in our church, had at some point when they heard about Jim having a, a blocked artery. And it was something like this. As I was walking back to my office, I kind of had this thought. It was like, I try to be healthy, but if flipping Jim Brown has a blocked artery, then we are all dead. <laughs> it was something like that, right? Like, oh, crap. You know, I'm in trouble. Um, and and I, I imagine that all of us had a thought like that, right? If we're honest, I mean, we, it's like, yeah, like, it, it, you know, that probably came across your mind. It reminded me of a time when I was a young kid when Ronald Reagan, who had served as our president here for eight years in America, and he was pretty well regarded on both sides of the aisle. It's like a great American president, had done a lot for our country, regarded on both sides of the aisle by, by everybody. And when, he, when I was a kid, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And I can still sort of remember this just kind of sadness that, that everybody in the country sort of felt when that diagnosis came down for him. This sort of this collective sort of groan, like, ah. Because someone like, like, like President Reagan, you know, who was sort of larger than life to us, had done this sort of great stuff for us. When, when someone that, large in our, that larger than life gets that kind of diagnosis, um, it does something to us. Or, or when someone like Jim, who we do know, who we know takes his health so seriously, has a, a, a clogged artery and needs a, a catheter, uh, a procedure to be done to, to unclog it, to put a stint in, it kind of reminds us, it levels us, and it levels any pretensions that we have that we are really in control of our lives. That, that's, that's why that was so sobering, I think, to me and to many of us. It was it kind of took away any pretension or any false idea that we had that we were in control of our lives. We're in a series right now, if you've not been here the last few weeks, called Run It Back. And our Run It Back series is designed to help us take a look at the last couple of years, to, to look at all that has happened and what are the lessons that we need to learn. When you're playing basketball, when you run it back, it's, it's like this. When you lose to another team, you can't wait to take them on again, to, to run it back. You say, let's run it back because you want to play them again. You want to apply what you learned in that game that you lost so that you can beat them the next time. And there are truths that we need to take away from this experience the last two years of the pandemic that we need to make sure we put into our truth grids, that we are better equipped to, to be ready for what life brings next to us. We want to run it back. And that's where we're going with these series. And, I, and I, I think there's probably not a truth that stands out more to me than what we're going to look at today. 
I think there's few greater lessons from the pandemic than we can learn than recognizing that nothing in this world is certain. Nothing in this world is certain. There were things that were central to our lives two years ago that we just sort of counted on, that we thought would always be the way they were, that nothing would ever change. Yeah, this might change, but not, but not this. Like this, I can always count on. The way that we lived our lives, the way that our kids went to school, the, the way that uh, we could go to work, the travel that we could do, all those things got totally upended and changed and some stopped altogether. And I think a lesson that God wants us to learn or that we need to learn is that nothing in this world is certain. And if we're counting on things of this earth, if we're counting on our existence here on this earth to to be our sense of true north, to be our identity, then we are going to be disappointed. And our lives are going to get rocked again and again and again until we learn that there is nothing in this world that is certain. Nothing that is promised. You, you've, heard, you've heard us say this before, but I, I want to say it again, that when, when situations like the pandemic come into our lives, we cannot wait for things to go back to normal to begin living again. We can't wait for things to go back to normal to start living life again. And here's why, because things will never go back to normal. And the reason that I know that things will never go back to normal is because things never were normal. Things never were normal. Perhaps we were lulled into thinking that, you know, life was easy, that there was sort of this period of time where things seemed simple, were going okay. But life was never normal. I mean, have we forgotten what happened here in our community in 2008 and 9, when factories were shutting down, when people were losing jobs? I mean, there didn't, wasn't a week that didn't go by where someone from our church would come into our office and was just distraught, just desperate for hope because they did not know how they were going to pay their family's bills. That was a hard time for our community. And have we forgotten what happened just seven years prior to that on September 2001 when terrorists took away our sense of security when they attacked New York City and Washington, D.C. I'll never forget, I was sitting in an in a, in a, in a office having a meeting with four other pastors. I was living in Philadelphia at the time, Tara and I were. And uh, this, this secretary comes running into the office and says, someone just bombed New York. And do you know what I said to her? It kind of said to everybody in the room. I said, nobody bombed New York. Because we sort of lived with this false sense of security that that could not happen. I mean, when were things normal? When you think back to the last century and, and, and you think about the history of just our nation, our small, tiny, insignificant nation. In the, when you think of the history of the world and you think about just our small, insignificant history, you think about our grandparents, my, my great-grandparents who lived through the Great War and then a decade later lived through the Great Depression when people literally were losing everything, everything. And then just a decade later, there was the Holocaust and World War II. And then just a few decades later, there, here in our nation, there was this great, valiant fight, but it cost a lot of uncertainty, this fight for civil rights. And then you go to the Vietnam era. I mean, when was life normal? When was life sort of simple? 
And so the idea that we're waiting for things to get back to normal, for things to be certain, for stuff to kind of get into place that we can count on, is, is a wait that will never, ever come. And I, wanna, I want you to be ready, young person especially, I want you to be ready so that you are not rocked by life. If you are counting on things, in, in, in systems in our society to be there that you can rely on, it's not that way. Nothing in this world is certain. Nothing. You, you can't count on this world. And so, I mean, or maybe better said is that normal is actually uncertainty. Normal is living with a sense of, of uncertainty. We need to be careful who we listen to or where we get our information for what the future holds, even today. As we search, search and scour for information, as we say, oh, I know what's going to happen, we, we need to be careful about the information that we are receiving. When I was a kid in high school, there was, there was a, an expert who predicted in the mid-1990s. He said almost all of the many predictions now being made about the future hinge on the Internet's continuing exponential growth. But I predict the internet will just soon go away and catastrophically collapse. He was wrong, by the way. That didn't happen. Around the time that I was graduating from college, around the turn of the century, a number of people were predicting the end of the Apple Corporation. People were beginning to purchase computers, and, and, and they were predicting that Apple was going to go away. The magazine The Economist said, Apple seems to have two options. The first is to sell the company outright. Or, or to break itself up and sell the hardware side. Michael Dell, the CEO of Dell Computers, said, what would I do? I would shut Apple down and give the money back to the shareholders. Ironically, I researched that on my MacBook this week. My favorite, though, comes from the 60s, from the early 60s. Uh, uh, it was a music critic who said about the Beatles, we don't like their sound, and guitar music is going out anyway. How many times have we predicted the future that, oh yeah, I know what's going to happen. I can predict what's going to come. I am sure of this. And we were completely wrong. Because I believe there, I'm sure there were people who believed these experts in their day and thought that they knew what they were talking about. And that's because we sort of think that life is like a vending machine. That if we go to the vending machine, we look at the selections, we look at what, you know, what's there and, and we make our choice, yep, that's what I want and, and then we put in the right amount of money and we push the right buttons that we can predict what's going to come. It's going to work, it's going to come out and we're going to get it. That's not how life is. You and I can't make choice A and B and C and yes, D will have to happen. That's not how it goes. You can't predict what's going to come into your life in the next year, five years, ten years. We can't count on that. Nothing in this world is certain. Not all the time. So what do we do? Well, we go to the one place that we know is certain. We go to the Word of God. The truth that God has inspired and given to us has stood the test of time, of every generation of believer that has lived through the uncertainty of this world has been able to find truth and hope in this book right here. And so today we're going to turn to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. I'd love for you to look there uh, with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. It's in the Old Testament, it's after Psalms, and then Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. And uh, we're going to look at the first 12 verses, but we're going to read six together here in a moment. So you, you might want to find it if, uh, if you have a chance to look for it. 
As you turn there, let me tell you that Ecclesiastes is written by King Solomon. It, he claims it in chapter 1 of the book. Most likely that's who wrote it. It's a combination of, of narrative, Solomon writing down what he has seen on earth through his life experience as a king, and he's seen a lot. He's writing down a narrative of what he's seen, but it also he mixes in wisdom literature, which is meant to be read like a little bit more poetically. And so he mixes those two together here in Ecclesiastes. You need to know that his writing is not really meant to be optimistic, by the way, if you've never read Ecclesiastes. Um, nor is it, though, meant to be pessimistic. It's, it's supposed to be, be uh, realistic. This is the way life works most of the time, is kind of what he's saying. So understand that as you read it. Solomon is doing his best to show us the folly of living life apart from God. And he gives us some sobering truths here in this passage of how meaningless life really is apart from a relationship with our Creator. Uh, would you stand up and read this with me? Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 uh, together. Okay? Here we go. So I reflected on all of this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. You have a seat. Wasn't that encouraging? Didn't that just sort of pump you up? You know, Ecclesiastes, again, is not written to, to be uh, optimistic, but simply realistic. And that is the destiny of life without God. Without God in our lives, without being connected to the Creator, the one who gives purpose and direction, Solomon says, this is, this is what life is. It's almost like we simply live, we work, we suffer, and then we die. And whether you are a good person in this life or a bad person in this life, you still have the same destiny. You're going to die one day. It doesn't matter. Our nobility does not push off our mortality, is what he's saying. So, when we look at this passage, you hear these words. Solomon is describing a world in which we really do have little control. Um, and a person, this is where we have to do the hard work of understanding the context of a passage like this. We have to do the hard work of trying to understand what is he saying in the whole book of Ecclesiastes? And then what is, he, what is the author, God, saying in the whole Bible? We have to understand the, the whole themes of Scripture to, to really understand a passage like this. Because you might be tempted to read this and say, well, then it doesn't matter how I live, John. 
I mean, I mean, according to this author, if, if I make bad choices or good choices, it doesn't really matter. I mean, my life, you know, it's going to end up dead anyway. What's the big deal? But we have to understand that, that he has more to say uh, um, uh, here and then in the whole te- context about our relationship with God and our creator. And he is writing here about those who don't know God, who live apart from their creator and the meaninglessness that they see or that they live through. That without God, we would simply live, work, suffer, and then die one day. And he's right that this life is meaningless without God, and this world is very uncertain. Today, I I, want to look at this passage because I think it will convince us, I hope, of this truth that there is nothing in this world that's certain, that you're not as as in control of your life as, as you think you are. And maybe you've already been convinced of that. Maybe you know that. And if you're here searching for hope today, I, the first thing I want to do is convince us that life isn't certain because I don't want you to search in the wrong place for hope. But I also then, well, if life is uncertain, then how do I live? How do I live in light of the brevity and the, and, and the uncertainty, the unpredictability of life? We're going to talk about those two things today. That's where we're going to go as we run it back. So as Solomon writes, let's dig in here, verse 1, he says, So I reflected on all of this, and I concluded. And then he goes on to share his conclusion, which is what we just read. Well, we have to say to ourselves, well, what is he reflecting on? And, and I think we need to go back a little bit. We could go back much of Ecclesiastes, but just to be simple, we're going to go back just the two verses right before. At the end of 18, verses 16 and 17, is what he was just commenting on. And then he comes to the conclusions that we looked at in chapter 9. Here's what he says in 16 and 17. I'll read it for us. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth. I want you to maybe underline labor in your Bible. Okay, the word labor. People getting no sleep day or night. He's talking about hard workers. When I, when I looked at the world, I saw people working hard. No sleep, day or night. They're exhaustion, to the point of exhaustion, working. That's what he noticed. Then verse 17, then I saw all that God had done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. And I want you to underline in that verse the word wise. The word wise. Because what Solomon is telling us, what he has observed on his time on earth, is that humans tend to look at two things in life for their surety, for their security, for for their certainty. Number one is work, and number two is wisdom. Humans, we tend to think that if we can just work hard, we can make any problem go away. And we also think that if we just think long enough or get the right information, that we can figure out anything in our lives. We tend to rely on hard work, work, and wisdom. Do you guys know anybody who lives as if they can simply work themselves out of any bad situation? I do. I'm one of those people. We just work and work and work. If we just put our head down and just give it our best effort, we can do anything. And we need to be hard workers, but you know, Solomon says that's foolishness to think that you can work yourself out of any situation. You know, one of the marks of our community, you probably know this, but maybe you don't, but I know this because I've, because I, I've moved here into the community. I, 
I lived for most of my life somewhere else, but now for 17 years I've lived here. But one of the things that really stands out to me about our community is how hard we work. I don't know if you know that, but I tell people that when I travel to other places, that Elkhart County is the hard workest, hardest working county in America. That early in the morning to late at night, people are working hard. And I would put our county up against any county in America as far as who works the hardest. But Solomon says that hard work, if that's all you have, if that's all you do, does not lead to where you want to. It doesn't lead to real life. It does not lead to lasting life. It's uncertain. Something that you will learn over life, if you haven't learned it already, is that you cannot work yourself out of just any situation. Uh, that, you, that, that, it, that you can't always count on work even to be there. That your job is not always going to be reliable. Something that you thought for sure, a company you thought you would retire with, it might be gone like that. Or as you begin to age in life, you might see that you cannot do all the work that you used to do. That, that, you, can, that you had this idea that I would just keep doing this job and be able to, to live this way that I want to live for the rest of my life And you thought that was sure because it was just depending on you and on your hard work. And you can't control diseases and you can't control injuries and you can't control age. No matter how fit we try to be, we can't push off mortality forever. And Solomon says it's meaningless. If you're living for work, if that's where your worth comes from, if that's what you are sure of, listen, you're going to be surprised. And your life is going to fall apart. We can't rely on simply hard work. And, and the second thing he talks about is wisdom. Do you know anybody that just thinks they can figure out any problem in their life? They can just fix it. They can solve it by themselves. I, I think we're like that. And Solomon says even the wisest person can't, can't really understand what's going to happen. I mean, we've already looked at a couple of predictions today that were made by very wise people that thought they knew what was going to happen. They were sure of it. And they were just flat out wrong. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? Not us as humans. And when you look back at the last two years, it was so hard to get good information. It, it was hard to make a wise decision, to, make, to, to count on wisdom, to try to weed through you know, either political agendas in the information we were receiving or, or internet hoaxes that people were pushing and believing. It was hard to figure out what was true, what was wise, and how to make decisions for our companies and, and for our families and for ourselves. It's hard to rely on information. With all the information that was out there, there wasn't much wisdom. We can't rely on work. We can't rely on wisdom. Solomon says it's folly to try to live on those things. And, and if that's what you've been living your life on, or even as a Christian, you've, you've just kind of said you're a believer, but you've sort of continued to live as if you weren't just trusting in yourself, trusting in your hard work, trusting in your wisdom. Listen, Solomon says it's folly. Ultimately, he concludes based upon what he has seen. Verse 1 of chapter 9, here's his conclusion. I reflected on all this and I concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are, what's the next three words? In God's hands. It's in God's hands. Solomon said, I, I, I can work hard. I've seen a person who works hard, a person who doesn't work hard. I've seen this person, I've seen that. It's all in God's hands. It's all in God's hands. Work and wisdom usually do lead to a better life, by the way. And that's why we should be hard workers and we should use wisdom. But ultimately, our lives are in the hands of God. 
And in the end, he says in verse 2, we all share a common destiny, death. No matter how we live on earth, we will all die one day. Ben Franklin said that every person could be assured of two things, death and taxes. And he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. Even the best life, the noblest life, cannot cancel out mortality. And then Solomon in verse 3, he says, well, there is one thing you can count on in this world. That's evil. Verse 3, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all of us. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil. And there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. One thing we can count on is the evil that's in our world. Even the evil in our side of ourselves that we have to wrestle with and battle with. We can count on that and then we struggle and then we die. So what's his point in all these verses? His point is what we've said, that our lives on earth are marked by uncertainty. That we don't know the end of things. That only God does. That things are ultimately in his hands. That while we live, we will live under constant surprise. Under surprise. So what's his advice? Does he get, what advice does he give us then? How can we live? Well, let's look at verses 7 to 10. Here's how he tells us to live. It's not all bad news, by the way. Aren't you glad? Yeah? Um, while this world, this earth is full of uncertainty, here's what he tells us to do. Verse 7. He says, Go. Eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days for this is your lot in life and your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. For the realm of the dead, where you're going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. What is Solomon saying? He's saying, well, you know, life is uncertain, and, and if you are uh, apart from God, uh, your destiny is, all, is all also certain. But here's what you should do. Live. You should live. He said you should live life. You should enjoy uh, uh, the meals that you get to, to have. The, enjoy the good things that God has given us on this earth that we can eat and enjoy. Enjoy the the, the good pleasures of this world. He tells us that we should enjoy life with our wives. Um, Enjoy our closest relationships, our our husband, our wife, our kids, our our good friends, um, our family, uh, our co-workers. We should enjoy people. We should live life with them. Uh, He tells us that we should uh, take precautions maybe that are necessary, but to live. Um, He says that even in times of pain and uncertainty, there are rays of grace There are rays of joy that break through into our lives. He says that we should work. Verse 10, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. We should work hard. We should work hard. We we should live as, as if our work matters, making a difference through our business decisions and through our career. Absolutely we should. But we can't find our identity in those things. Our identity doesn't come from our closest relationships or our work, but we can still find joy in them. Here's what I think he is saying. Nothing in this world is certain, but we can still enjoy life trusting our certain God. You and I can still find joy in life because God is certain. While our world is uncertain, while we can't count on ourselves, we can't count on our wisdom or our hard work or or, or anything else that's out there in the world, we can count 
on God. He is certain. And so that allows us to enjoy life despite the uncertainty around us. I think that's what Solomon is saying here in this passage. And so when those around us who are desperate for hope, I don't know what the next catastrophe will be. You and I couldn't have predicted this would have happened two years ago. I don't know what it will be in five years or ten years from now. I know there will be catastrophe, by the way, but I don't know what it will be. But when it comes, let the people that see us see us continuing to live. Let them see us living life with an unshakable faith in our God. Because while we don't know the future, we know that he does. Perhaps you came across or read what C.S. Lewis wrote about living in uncertain times when his generation was scared of an atomic bomb attack. This was going around Facebook at, at the beginning of the pandemic. I think it still reads well today. He was such a good Christian thinker. He wrote, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. We think about it too much. He says, how are we to live in an atomic age? Well, I'm tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. As you would have lived as in the Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Thanks for that visual, CS. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age that has cancer, in an age of syphilis, in an age of paralysis, in an age of air raids, in an age of railway accidents, in an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. He says, don't make it sound like your situation is worse, that you're living under times that no one else has ever seen before. We have to be careful when we say things like, oh, it's never been this bad. It's not true. C.S. Lewis goes on, he says, Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. Death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. And this is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things like praying and working and teaching and reading and listening to music and bathing our children and playing tennis and chatting to our friends over a pint in a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. While they may break our bodies, they need not dominate our minds." C.S. Lewis says what Solomon says, that we can live even in the midst of uncertainty. We are promised uncertainty in this life. It will come, but we can live in spite of it. We can enjoy life. I wish I could guarantee an easy life for you, that, that if you just do the, the right steps, that you'll be fine. But that's not how it works I, what I can do is encourage you to trust your future to the one who does know everything and does see the future and loves you infinitely. See, nothing in this world is certain, but we can still enjoy life, trusting in our certain God. You want an example of who needs to do that or who is doing that right now? You just look to our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine or any day, they're waiting for an invasion to come. Been told it was going to come this last week, perhaps tomorrow, perhaps this next week, perhaps it won't come. I don't know. 
but they've been living. And our brothers and sisters, what have they been doing? I, I, I pulled this bulletin uh, out uh, this week off the internet from, uh, uh, from um, a, a president of a seminary in the Ukraine. He writes, missionaries living and serving in the Ukraine have sent out urgent prayer requests and are asking the Lord for his protection and wisdom as they consider what is ahead for them and their ministries as a threat of invasion looms. Under the USSR, Christians faced brutal persecution, recalls Ruslan Kimez, who is the president of the Kiev Theological Seminary. I know what it means to be persecuted, Kimez said. When freedom came to Ukraine, many things changed completely. The number of churches started to grow very fast. Many new Christians dedicated themselves to Jesus, and they wanted to grow. They wanted to serve, and they wanted to proclaim the gospel. Kamaz described how the communist regime had tried to destroy Christian theology. Since Ukraine gained its independence in 1991, they've only been a nation for 30 years. Since they gained their independence in 1991, Ukrainian nationals, missionaries, and foreign ministry organizations have helped to establish seminaries and discipleship programs to help believers and to develop church leaders. Ukraine, he writes, is the main missionary-sending country for Eastern Europe and for Central Asia. The church is very strong. As far as Europe is concerned, the Ukrainian church is probably the strongest, as, uh, perhaps the strongest, and is doing the most for education and for training and sending out workers into the harvest field. And so how are our brothers and sisters now living in these uncertain times? Kimes said that his church is doing a few things. It's encouraging their members to have enough food and water on hand to support their families for a few days, but also to have enough on hand to share with those who are without, to keep, keep being on mission. How else, what are they doing? He said, we've brought in doctors, Christian doctors into our church to train us all in first aid training so that we can be ready to care for those who are wounded if we need to. Kimaz's church is also holding extra prayer meetings and he says they are packed. That people are, there is a sense that many are searching, many Ukrainians are searching for hope in a uncertain time. He says it's not enough to say that everything will be okay. We need to give people the real hope of Jesus. He says the task of the church in unforeseen circumstances and chaos is to stand strong in the Lord and to act according to his will. And he closes with this, Christians, pray for us, Christians must be salt and light in all circumstance, even in times of war. Let us learn from our Ukrainian brothers and sisters how we should live in uncertain times. That we continue to go on serving our neighbors, preaching the gospel, and spreading God's love. That is how we live in uncertain times. And they are doing it right now. I said I wanted to do two things today. Uh, I want us to accept this unescapable truth that life is uncertain I want you to be ready for when uncertainty comes. The second thing that I want to do today is then give us some hope. How do we live in light of the brevity and unpredictability of life? And so let me close with three thoughts, three things that I think will apply to you, that you can apply to your life. Uh, I, I took these, I, one of the commentaries I, I read quite a bit this week was Paul Tripp's commentary on God's sovereignty. So here are three summary thoughts for today. Number one. While life is out of our control, it is not out of control. Life is out of our control, but not out of control. There's a difference. You are not certain about your future, 
and you are less in control of your future than you probably realize, but it does not mean that life is out of control. See, if you, if you and I can really believe that our world is not out of the control, that is out of control, that it's not driven by fate or by chance, but rather it is under the careful watch of the one who is the definition of wisdom and power and love. And if we truly believe that, then we can live with a heart of, with a heart of peace and with confidence and with a hope that we could find no better way ourselves. Listen, while life is out of your control, it's not out of control. And you know what? It's better that it's not in your control. It's kind of foolish for you and I to think that if we could plan our lives, we would do a better job than God does. Right? That's kind of prideful, isn't it? To think that somehow if you were in control, you would probably choose different things for yourselves, thinking it was best. But shouldn't we trust God, the one who knows the future, with what is actually best for us? So while life is out of control, it's not out, while life is out of our control, it's not out of control. Think of how different life looks when you really believe that there is no situation that you are in. There is no relationship, no season of relationship that you are in. No location on this earth that you can go that isn't under the watchful eye of King Jesus. When you can live like that, it changes your perspective. Much of our regular anxiety and worry and fear and discouragement is really the result of the fact that we aren't in control and we're not willing to accept that God is. And that if we could just control things, if we could just plan how things were to go, that life would be better. But the Bible tells us that if we really want to understand the times that we live in, if we really want to have a heart of peace, then we must first, before we look horizontally, look vertically and connect to our God. Life is out of our control, but it's not out of control. Number two, here's my second thought. Life's uncertainty should lead us to humility. Your life, my life should be marked by humility. The fact that you and I are not in control and the fact that God is in control should, should make us very humble, not proud. We need to be willing to admit that there are very few things that we really do control God's sovereignty should humble us. It's tempting for us to act as if we are more in control than we actually are. It is tempting for us to take credit for things that we could have never worked on or done or produced on our own. It is tempting for us to think that we can make life working work better according to our plan. It is tempting to be proud of ourselves in places where we should be praising God for his grace. The fact that we have no idea what will happen tomorrow because we do not control tomorrow should cause us to be humble. So let us seek humility under a God who does know the future. Consider your successful career as an example. No matter how hard you or I work, no matter how well you have stewarded or I have stewarded the gifts that God gave me or gave you, there is no way that you or I could have controlled all the environment of the economy 
or all the people and things in our organizations that had to work together to make it successful. We, we, we don't live outside of the sovereign grace of God and to somehow think that we had more to do with our success than we did is not humility, it's pride. You think about our relationships. Maybe, maybe you're tempted to look at a relationship and you've been, maybe you've been married for a long time or, or, or maybe you've had a, a family that's doing well and you're tempted to think that I did that. Listen, what in our marriage, yeah, we worked hard at it, but what in our marriage wasn't under the, the careful watch of a gracious God who at the right time put a mentor in my life or, or your life to guide me or, 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 or solved a financial crisis that was stressful in our marriage and our family. He came through. Where did we ever live without the gracious hand of God? Recognizing God's sovereignty should cause us to be humble, not to be proud. James in the New Testament says this way, what good gift do we have that hasn't come down from our Heavenly Father? Let us, instead of being tempted to take credit, be quick to give praise. Uh, Life's uncertainty and God's sovereignty should humble us, and a humble heart is a worshiping heart. And a humble heart is is a grateful heart. And a humble heart is a serving heart that says, God, this is your life, not mine. How can I live for you? You're in control. And here's our third thought. Let me close with this. Life will always contain mystery and confusion. Life will always have a measure of mystery and confusion. Until the God of the universe begins to include me in his daily staff meetings, I am going to be surprised at what comes that day. Until the God of the universe begins to, 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 to ask me, hey, is it okay if I do this today? I'm not going to have a say in what happens in the direction of my life. Not as much as I wish I did. See, our belief that God knows and is sovereign does not remove uncertainty for us. Just because he knows doesn't mean that I know. Since we're made in the image of God, though, we have this desire to know to explain things, to, to seek things out, to try to understand. And sometimes it doesn't mix well with God's sovereignty and our lack of certainty. It makes us uncomfortable. But that is where we learn trust. That is where we learn trust. We must accept that there is a great divide that still exists between the creator and us, the creation. That we are not meant to understand everything, that we couldn't understand everything, even if God were willing. We must accept that there are some things that God has never told us. And listen, he might never tell us. And that is his right as God. He is the creator. We are the creation. We don't deserve an answer for everything from God. Even my children I don't explain everything to them. Sometimes I just say, this is how it's going to be. And the reason that they can accept that answer is because they trust me. And the reason that we can accept God's answer is that we can trust that he is a good God. That even when we don't understand what life gives us, we trust that he is a loving, heavenly father. And we trust him. And sometimes peace doesn't come from knowing, but it simply needs to come from trusting. 
And we trust that he is good. So trust the sovereign God, the one who is in control. Because while nothing in this life is certain, we can still enjoy life trusting in our very certain God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we need your help. We are such frail beings as humans. Not as strong as we think we are. Not as wise as we think we are. Not as gifted as we think we are. And often much more entitled than we are. Lord, would you help us to recognize our place as your creation as underneath your sovereign watch. Lord, will we not forget this lesson that we have learned over these last few years again, that nothing in this world is certain, that we can't count on the systems of our world to come through for us, that our only hope is in our very certain God. Lord, I confess that there are times when I believe I can work myself out of any situation that I'm in. And I confess that there are times that I think I can figure anything out myself without your help. Lord, would you, would you please forgive me? Would you forgive each of us, Lord, for when we live that way? God, we want to believe. Would you help our unbelief? We want to trust you. Would you help us where we lack trust? God, where there is pride, would you replace it with humility as we come underneath your authority? And God, I'm grateful that you understand us. Lord, the, the psalmist writes that you understand that we were made from the dust of the ground. And so God, when we become more prideful than we should be, when we think of ourselves way too highly, I'm grateful that your grace remembers that we're simply dust. You don't hold it against us. You understand us. I'm grateful for your love, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.